welcome to the Modern Meinhof podcast. I am your host, Richard Huffman, expert in all things Modern Meinhof. This is the only podcast that is devoted to, yet unaffiliated with, the Modern Meinhof gang um, and left-wing German terrorism of the 1970s, the Red Army faction. That's that's what we talk about in this podcast or related ephemera. Um, so today, last I think it was the last podcast I talked about this amazing Oscar-winning short cartoon called Logorama, um, which just won the Oscar this past, uh, I think it was in February. Um, and uh, I managed to track down the two of the three directors of the project and, and interview them. So we're going to listen to that today. They're really interesting, amazing French guys. Um, before that, I was going to talk a little bit about some of the stuff that happened the last week that interests me and perhaps interests you. Those of you that have listened to my podcast know that um, my part of my reason for getting interested in this subject, when I say part, I mean 100% part of the reason for me getting interested in this subject was the fact that my dad and mom were targeted by left-wing German terrorists in the early 1970s. And for the longest time, for the last 12 years, I've been trying to figure out who exactly was did this. It wasn't the Bader-Meinhof group, as my dad thought about it. And I realized later it was probably the, the June 2nd movement, which is this kind of related group. Um, yet I've never actually found anything about them and these particular incidents. In fact, I've never found any mention of these incidents. And the only real corroboration I've ever had is the fact that my mom and dad both corroborate each other. Um, well, that changed this week as I was looking through Der Spiegel has finally put their entire archive of the last 50 years online, every article with both the article and a PDF of them online. It's stunning the amount of Red Army faction stuff they have on there. And I found an article about the June 2nd movement. Um, which I actually had scanned um, when I was at my local university library like 12 years ago. But my German is so embarrassingly horrible that I never actually closely read the article and saw the reference to Harnack House. And Harnack House is where the bomb was, where my mom was was having uh, having a coffee. Anyway, sure enough, there was a reference to a bomb. And they called it, uh, they said there was a bomb left at Harnack House, and they called it a dud. Um, little did they know it wasn't a dud. It was actually my dad and his crew diffusing it. Um, and then furthermore, as you probably know, I'd like to track down these people, maybe interview them. Well, that probably won't happen because alluding to who may have left the bomb, at least at Harnack House, there was an article about a terrorist named Ulrich Schmuckar, who was a member of the June 2nd movement. Also, they suspect, or the people in the group suspected, he may have gi or, uh, given secret evidence against some of them. So in 1974, I think it was 74, members of the group took him out to the Grunewald, which is this forest that's right near the American army base, and assassinated him. And according to this article, he was the one who left that bomb at Harnack House. So... My dream of interviewing the guy that wanted to kill my mom and dad um, has been dashed, <laughs> at least temporarily, because I'd still want to talk to some of these other people that were involved. Um, anyway, so I thought you might find that interesting. So uh, also, my next podcast, I have tracked down a person who was, um, who was 
pretty severely injured by the Bader Meinhof group in the May 1972 bombing in Frankfurt. Um, this is the bombing where um, Lieutenant Colonel Paul Bloomquist was killed. And this gentleman that I spoke to is was the last person to say any words to Paul Bloomquist and was probably 20, 30 feet away from the bomb himself when it went off. And it put him in the hospital for for um or out of commission for a full month um and he tells a pretty interesting story that'll be my next podcast for this podcast um i interviewed um uh herve and francois these are two gentlemen that used to be part of a collective known as h5 now they're off on their own making their own movie but they put together this movie called logorama which featured um like a thousand different logos um, telling this kind of, well, it's kind of a small story about this crime that takes place in Los Angeles, but it's sort of a bigger story about our obsession with uh, logos and our, our corporate culture. And the movie featured, um, among other things, a crazed serial killing Ronald McDonald, um, who at one point grabs an RAF logo, which of course features a submachine gun and holds a, Bob's big boy hostage and just goes on a killing spree. It's funny. It's amazing. And uh, I was really fortunate to be able to have the opportunity to talk to them about their movie and how and why they chose the RAF logo and, and other stuff. It's a really interesting interview. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, can you guys please both tell me your names real quick? Sure. So I'm Hervé de Crécy mm -hmm. and I'm uh, François Allot. Um, can you tell me, oh, before we talk about Logorama, please tell me a little bit about H5 and who you are and what you guys do. Okay, it's a bit complicated, the situation, because we are not H5 anymore, Francois and I. We just left H5. So H5 uh, is the name under the one that the, we were signing as artists uh, H5 uh, for films with uh, Ludovic Couplin, mm -hmm. which is the third director. And so, but we don't sign anymore with François. We don't sign anymore under the name H5. So, but the film was directed by the by the three of us. And so but, now uh, you now you are on your own. Yes, absolutely. Um, so let's talk about Logo Rama. Uh, um, I I saw it for the. I, I like many people. I probably was first made aware of it watching it on the Oscar broadcast, and I finally saw it completely. Um, uh, for the first time a couple weeks ago um, and was honestly blown away by it. It is an amazing, amazing movie. What was the genesis of this movie? What inspired you to make this movie? Uh, well, thank you first for the compliment. And, uh, and uh, originally it was supposed to be um, a music video. Uh, a music video, it was, uh, it was like an idea that we developed the, the fact of using a world made out of uh, logotypes. Uh, but then we needed a story, so we, we, we started developing a kind of story for a music video. It was originally for George Harrison, mm -hmm. uh, and his son, his son Danny asked us for an idea for a music video, and we came out with this idea of uh, having George Harrison in animation in, in a world made out of logotypes. But then it was quite far from Logorama, and then we, we came back with... Uh, because the, the producers didn't want to produce something with existing logotypes, because for him it was a nightmare in terms of uh, copyrights. And he said, I, I will never be able to broadcast something with existing logotypes. So from there, we, we thought it was uh, we, we should uh, do it by ourselves. 
and not doing it for a music video or for 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 someone else than than us. And then we met uh, the producer of the film, Nicolas Merkin, and he found the first um, public funds for that. And we could have the funds first of the CNC, the Centre National de la Cinématographie in France. And that could allow us to start working on this. And then we had like m many partners to help us uh, work on this. Uh, and, and so we could start a very long production process. So at a certain point, you just decided uh, we're not going to worry about the, the um, securing permissions or you just um, move beyond that? How, how did you make that decision to, to just go ahead and not have the concerns of your original producer? Um, at the very beginning, we decided to, to do the film for, I mean, we didn't think, we didn't say, okay, we have to call all the brands and all the companies. Well, of course, we already know, know that uh, we have to do the film as we want, and we didn't care. We did not care about this. But of course, uh, from the beginning, we asked to lawyers their point of view about doing this film. And we first saw one lawyer who told us that it was maybe, maybe uh, because, uh, because her job was to just sue, literally, the people doing the same thing that we were planning to do. <laughs> and so she said, well, it's, I, won't, I won't tell you it's not dangerous because it is dangerous. But then we thought we thought that uh, it, it, it's uh, it's a balance between the the copyright on one side and the freedom of expression on the other side, and we thought it was like like uh, for example in the U.S. you you have a First Amendment and we have a kind of the same in in France, and we think that we th we thought from the beginning that we would be protected because the film is a parody, and it's nothing but a parody, so we thought it would it would. Uh, we were taking risks. We were assuming that we were taking risks, but uh, we thought that was uh, worthing it. Well, it's so, so few people challenge that in the U.S. In fact, um, when when they have challenged it, people invariably have won those challenges by being allowed. They they have that. We have that the concept in America of fair use, and people are allowed that. But it's rarely seems to be challenged. People seem to be extremely scared about the notion of utilizing something for parody or for some other reason. That's what one of the reasons that made your film so refreshing because it wasn't just a few logo types. It was, it seemed to be like a thousand logo types. So it was, it yeah. was refreshing from that perspective. I mean, it's also, it's also, uh, we wanted to fight against one thing that we particularly uh, uh, hate is like self-censorship. And I think the self-censorship is something, and, and as, as we've been doing many, many commercials before, and we've been working always for clients, and when you work for clients, you always have like so many constraints coming from the clients. And I don't say it's bad to have constraints, because the many times it's from the constraints that you get the, the, the better work. But, but, uh, but we just wanted with Logorama to, 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 uh, to get out of, uh, of self-censorship. And that was a real pleasure, and not only for us, but also for all the people that used to work with us. Like the, the animators, for example, in the post-production company, they loved to play with logotypes because it's, it's something like it's a common, uh, um, it's a common legacy. All these, all these logotypes, they belong to 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 everybody, and it's uh, it's also it's almost part of our common culture yeah we use logotype almost like actors and we decide to 
to to give them a, a new opportunity to do to to play a new role. And uh, it was the, almost a game. I mean, the way to tweet the logotype and to, why, why we choose Mr. Clean as an educator, because we really want to change this strong character and is doing something different. Yeah, Mr. Clean made Mr. Clean made my dad laugh out loud when he saw that. He thought it was very funny. Yeah, yeah. The Queenie, the Queenie educator. <laughs> How did you go about choosing um, the various uh, logo types that you chose to to present? Um, I, I was struck by um, well, I was struck by there were some that were kind of comical. I, I think I saw Slurm from. Futurama in there, a fake logo type. Yeah, but, yeah, 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 sure. sure. Uh, but oh. most of them, it just seemed. I, 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 I was wondering how you go went about choosing all of the the logo types. That was part of the fun of the film because when we had the story, we had the story first. So the first thing was to have the story written, and at the beginning it was uh, we made the first storyboard, and there was absolutely no logo type, but we had the story. And then we had to decide in each shot which uh, which logotype we would use, and that was part of the fun, just to to try to find something funny and with sense at the same time. Like 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 for example, at the end when you see when you pull out from the from the Earth, and you see that the first planet you see in the in the sky is um, Pepsi, <laughs> the 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 Pepsi Cola, and all around you have all the satellites that are the satellite brands of PepsiCo. And we tried each time to, we knew that we had a shot, and then we tried to, to think what's going to be the most, the strongest uh, in terms of sense and in terms of uh, visual, uh, what would be the strongest logotype. And that was, yeah, it was really exciting. And it was almost, um, I mean, it was especially about logo. It's, it's not about branding. Because, for example, Logorama is not about only branding. We have a lot of logotypes that are not linked to a brand. You could have, as, as you said, in Futura and Futurama. But if you took, if you take the, for example, the the RAF logo, is is a is a communist uh, terrorist German uh, group. And uh, but this, the way they used a logo, was at the end, almost like a brand used a logo. Well, so, how did how, how did uh, you I guys? Was, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, and, and I remember an article a long time ago we saw in uh, Der Spiegel, you know, the German uh, uh, um, newspaper, I mean, a magazine. Yep. And I remember they talk about the way they, they it, it was a branding, it was a, the way to sign their act. as a, So they, they it, it was in the same concept of branding uh, for something terrible, yes, but the process was the same. Well, that's what that's what struck me as so amazing about your choice because this was a group that um, I mean they were terrorists they were awful people but they were in a sense they had created a brand they were hip uh, yes yes of course it's why we choose it also because the logotype is a very powerful and really well done and and the, it could be crazy but about the graphic shop if you think as a as a graphic designer if you think as a as a concept designer is is working really well with uh, McDonald's because it's a, it's a logotype with a very simple uh, color code uh, the way it's treated and also it looks like a gun 
Yeah, yeah, and also that's yeah one of the main reasons was also because you don't find many logotypes with guns on it, except than terrorist groups because because uh, I mean any of the groups making guns today will never have a gun on their logotype. That that's what I was wondering. I was wondering at the beginning is if it, if if sort of your need for Ronald McDonald to be holding a gun drove you towards the RAF or the other way around and um, because I because I, I, I looked online beforehand and I actually found very few logos out there that prominently featured a weapon so I was wondering well maybe yeah, yeah. The, 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 the RAF uh, logo is a, is a, is a gun the, the MT I don't remember exactly is it's again used by the the, 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 the military and the, um, the, the the police is a is a, a kind of uh, is a kind of Terrorist, American terrorists, they're not exactly terrorists. They are fighting um, all the new, the, the neo-Nazi in, the, in America. The ATF, so it's, alcohol, tobacco, yeah. and firearms. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we don't have a lot. And, and uh, the angle gun is uh, the 7 of 007. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, we have a, a teaser with uh, this, like we see uh, Ronald pushing the 2-0 and taking the 7 and, and loading as a real weapon. So, yeah, it, it, there is not a lot of it. It's, uh, for example, the flame of the, when the, 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 the gun is shooting, uh, the flame is just the three letters of NRA, mm -hmm. but um, it looked like letters. It not look like a weapon. So we didn't want to have a Ronald with uh, letters in his hand. We want to have something really efficient. Yeah. We, we want to make a movie. Also, the oh, sorry. No, not just a graphic experience. Yeah, but the, the funny thing with uh, with the logotypes is that we are playing with signs, and the good thing with the sign is that it is um, is talking beyond its shape, which means that, for example, you don't need to have a, 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 an accurate shape to represent something. For example, for the sun, we just used the sun microsystem logotype. Yeah. which is it's yeah. not round it's a square but it works because, because you know it's a sign and the sign tells also much more than what, what it looks like yeah i um when i when i first saw it the first time i just about my jaw fell to the floor seeing the ref logo and it took me a while to think wow because um, i i probably know more about this particular group than most people and um so I'm putting myself in the shoes of these terrorists, yeah. Andreas Bader and Gudrun Enslin. A lot of people in America say, why did you choose the Royal Air Force? And I say, no, it's not the Royal Air Force. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, you're exactly right. V few people in America know who they are. Um, but yeah, when I, I was watching RF, this... RF is much more known, but they didn't think about the Red Star in the back. But even in France, people don't know. Well, and even uh, then, well, I mean, uh, you'd wonder, well, why would the Royal Air Force have a machine gun for a logo? <laughs> but but so I remember when I was watching, I'm thinking, boy, I'll bet you the founders of this group, Andreas Bader, Ulrika Meinhof, Gudrun Enslin, they, if they had seen Logorama, they would have thought, boy, this is... It, it was sort of a perfect encapsulation of somewhat what they were about, which was they were, they were obviously murderous terrorists, um, but their interpretation yeah, yeah. of their war was anti-corporate, anti-capitalism, and seeing Ronald McDonald holding their gun, shooting up all kinds of logotypes, I'm sure they would have got a good laugh out of it. I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's helping for the people who know the logo that 
bringing our character as a weapon dealer as a real villain guy because it's the ultimate signature to have a, a legotard from this terrorist and, uh, and I, I, you know the only thing I know about these people they, they, this terrorist group already know everything about marketing and the way to be known yep. and that, that's, uh, that's the best thing to communicate even like uh, evil or angel they were, I, I call them the world's first celebrity terrorists because they seem to understand how to market themselves. They seem to understand that they had a brand, that there was a group of Germans, young Germans, that were very intrigued by them, by the fact that they stole fast cars and drove and wore fancy clothes. I mean, they were a brand of themselves. And the fact that they created a logo that is recognizable versus any other terrorist logo is not surprising to me. No, no, of course. So, um, so have you heard from any of your corporate people featured in this movie, good or bad? Have you heard specifically from the McDonald's Corporation? We haven't heard from them, no. But uh, but, but we we have heard that uh, the uh, some people from the from the um, communication department have seen it and kind of loathed. <laughs> but uh, but we are not sure if we've heard that like that. And then what what did we have? We have we had reaction from uh, from certain brands, like for example, uh, one one funny was the reaction from the Los Angeles Zoo. Yeah. And we had an email from the PR of the Los Angeles Zoo, and he told us that uh, uh, if we had uh, asked him the authorization, the permission to use his logotype, he would certainly have said no at the beginning. But then having seen the film. He said that uh, the, considering the fact that the green giant uh, has a speech protecting the animals, well, it's, it's, uh, they're happy to be in the film. So that was funny. We had they a, asked for a copy. They I imagine the presidents of all the companies would be upset and all the art departments would love the movie. Yeah, yeah I guess so. And uh, we had a reaction from uh, Cash Converters, also the brand that uh, that had just seen one picture of the film and said, thank you for putting the, uh, our name in the heart of the city. It's exactly our marketing plan to be at the heart of the city, etc. <laughs> it's funny to see the reaction of the brand. My gosh. And uh, I've heard, but I'm not sure, but I've heard that um, Leica reacted. Um, yeah. Just yeah, well, ask yeah. some, some explanation about the fact of being in the film without the permission. Yeah, but also they didn't appreciate a lot to be used as a as a site for a sniper. Yeah. But uh, the, the, the very funny thing is, this year they start to remake uh, the Hunter Google, you know, for hunting. Yep. So they go back in a, a little bit in the in the, in the gun adventure. So uh, I don't know if it, that, uh, it makes sense to have them. So they have to assume they're also not only making cameras; they're also doing some hunting and for spotter and uh, so. And ultimately, it's great to, if they liked or didn't like it. But ultimately, that's not the reason you made the film. You made the film for, to have a totally different point, correct? Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I think if we had asked permission to any of these brands, it would have been a nightmare because they would all have had so many constraints 
and said, well, you can use it, but you have to respect the family values, etc. And you have to be respectful of this and that and that and that. And that's the opposite that we wanted to do. We didn't want to respect anything. We just, mm. we just did, I mean, we just had the story at the beginning. And we just update the story with uh, the casting of logos. I mean, for the object, for the character, for the background, for everything. But we didn't build the story with brands. Absolutely not. So how many people were involved with this? I, I looked on the credits. It looked like there must have been 100 people that helped make this movie. Yeah, because he's, he, we spent a lot of time. And uh, we spent more like, I mean, maybe five years and three years of production. And you know the post-production company, uh, Micros Image in France? Micros, mm-hmm. Micros. Uh, they, I mean, they, they did an incredible work to, and they spent a lot of time. And you know, uh, we, you have the rendering, the animation, and also uh, we did all the, the sound design, the original music, the, the casting. Everything was did in a, was made in a, in a, in, in LA. We we met uh, incredible writers and, and uh, all the casting we have. Even uh, David Fincher have a voice in a, as a Pringle original in the film. So yeah, a lot of people because we had a lot of things to do and uh, it was really really complicated to think about the rendering, to making a film, and also to respect the, the brand, the logos, and uh, to have a, a very uh, coherent world design and uh, and also to be um, close to the logos not making a 3D world with just branding map- mapped as I say on, on wall was a we have to build the logos in, in, in the 3D world that must have been a, a challenge I've, I've been a graphic designer myself and I'm just trying to figure out how you must have gotten the logos I imagine it was scanning and redrawing and building them out three dimensionally that must have been an enormous process it was enormous because uh, usually uh, the, the version that we had we could get the, the versions of the logotype directly in uh, Illustrator in, in uh, Vector but uh, the only thing is that uh, the logo is made to be printed and when it's printed you see it uh, from one just point of view and we had to imagine how it looks from different point of views. So we had to first, the first thing we did it was to redesign every logo from every side, which means, for example, you have the, I don't know, when you have the, uh, the, Mercedes, the Mercedes logo. Yep. Okay, it's flat and it's a star. And we had to imagine the, the little volume that he has. And, but, but that's not the main thing. But, uh, for example, when you, you had uh, a character like uh, Haribo, for example, the German, uh, German suite, and uh, we had to imagine how it looks uh, from the side. We had to design his bottom, because you see his bottom, and we had to, to design everything that you never see on a logotype. And we, as graphic designers, we are originally graphic designers, and we wanted to be very precise and to respect all the graphic charts of these brands. And that was the main thing, is that the logotypes looked actually like the real logotype. And so the, the, that was a massive work to do in the same style that, that the existing logotype, uh, our version of it, seen from angles that you never see. Yeah. Yeah, and also, as you can understand, all these different logos come from different culture and legacy and, and, and people. I mean, uh, when Paul Rand or, or, or 
Solbath or whatever in France, uh, Michelin is a very old logotype. Uh, all these graphics, all these, uh, they have to, to work together. I mean, the, the way they have to, that the, 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 the complete frame in the film have to be coherent to understand like uh, as a, the, the, the background, the foreground. Uh, we have to analyze everything about this, like you working with 1,000 different designers. <laughs> and they and 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 they have to work together as a, as a complete graphic chart to to have a, a very efficient uh, image. Yeah. So before being a, a work of uh, of animation and building a 3D world, everything was done first in 2D because it was like every frame was a composition by itself, and we had to make it work. And it, we took it took it took us like one year just to be able to find the right image for the film because first we went into something that was too much 3D with a 3D rendering and it didn't work because the logos didn't li look like like what they look in 2D but if you keep just a 2D rendering it would be too flat so we had to to find like uh, tricks just to make it more at the same time 2D looking like 2D but at the same time building a 3D world we only used yeah, yeah, exactly. We only use the the shadow and the shadows of the object only to show there is some some object on on the top of another one, and uh, that's the way that doesn't make sense for us to adding some shadows on 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 Ronald McDonald or the Michelin guy, just to understand. Okay, they are in the car. There is a kind of gray in, on the black on 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 the white, and just to understand that the. the, the our character is in a restaurant or is not. But after that, keeping the logo as it is at the... At the we, we also made a difference between the uh, between the, the proper shadow of the object and the cast shadows. And we just uh, kept the cast shadows. So just to, to, to see exactly where the, the characters were in the environment, but without changing their, their visual rendering. It was it was made on um, Maya, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> Maya. Yeah. Yeah, but um, Microsimage developed a, a very specific rendering system, a render based on a basic thing, but also with a, a system of to keep some strokes mm. and uh, to managing strokes in the space. Something actually very complicated for for very two uh, D simple graphic but sometimes when it looks simpler it's much more difficult to absolutely so what was the experience that. winning the oscar like and has that made any uh has that ha impacted you guys in your career at all <laughs> uh yeah it was a great experience and um yeah, we are, actually we are working on a film with Francois and we are, we are doing it's a live action film it's like a 25 30 minutes film and and it really changed the day after we had the Oscar because everything that was hard to you know each each meeting like we had to convince for everything and the day after the Oscar was like we think that <laughs> oh it's great uh, yeah yeah we we start this project we start this project in November and just so before the, the before mm -hmm. Sundance and the Oscar, 
and after the Oscar, everything become like, yeah. Perfect. You have to ask to the, I mean, all the, the clients now, with, no, no, you have to ask first to the director. We want hmm. to know what they think. It, uh, <laughs> it opens some doors, it sounds like. So, so um, I, I definitely appreciate you guys spending some time talking with me about your amazing film. I've been trying to let as many people through my uh, outlets know about this. Um, if people wanted to learn more about the work you're doing, since you're not with H5 anymore, how can people get a hold of you and learn more about what you're doing? Uh, there's going to be a way very soon to have uh, more news about okay. this. Okay. Uh, well, when when you guys have something that, uh, to track, yeah, uh, when you guys I, have I something to track from. down, send me a link, and I'll make sure to put it up on my website. And as it is, I'll I'm directing people towards your sublime and amazing film, Logo Rama. Um, Hervé and Francois, thank you so much for your time. Yep. Uh, th- okay. Thank you very much. Thank I will talk to you later. Thank Bye-bye. you.